Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello out there to all of you HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. Welcome to another edition of HealthCom Central. You know, sometimes I like to pause and talk about a current issue and specifically how we can apply some of the frameworks and theories that we talk about here at HealthCom Central to something that's happening now that is very relevant to all of us who work in public health communication. And right now, I think something that is on the minds of many people who are concerned with public health and how we talk to people about important health and safety issues are thinking about the question, how do we message COVID now? And you know, it's a tough dilemma because people are deeply fatigued with COVID. Even the people who are at higher risk and who have taken it very seriously all along. You go into local stores and no one is wearing a mask. You go to big events, crowded indoor events like concerts and sports games. Nobody is masking. In fact, I have a flight coming up in a few weeks and I'm already worried about whether or not people will really be masking on airplanes or in the airport. And of course, we had a very low rate among American adults of vaccination. We've only got about two-thirds of American adults who have had both initial doses of their COVID vaccine. Only about a third have had one or more of their possible boosters. And vaccination rates among children are even lower in many cases. And of course, most schools are now back in session without any kind of mask requirement. At the same time all of that is happening, wastewater levels are double some of their highest rates. Test positivity in many communities is very high, which indicates that we're not getting all of the positive cases. And very few home antigen tests are being reported to anybody in public health. So we really have no idea of how many cases are out there. Meanwhile, we're still learning a lot about long COVID. One in five people who've had COVID are currently diagnosed with long COVID, which means somewhere between 11 and 33 million people are probably experiencing what many doctors and researchers are now starting to call a, quote, mass disabling event. So it's a fairly dire situation right now, as I record this in September of 2022. Hopefully you're listening to this, you know, maybe a few months from now or a couple of years from now and things are better. But right now, There is this expectation that there are going to be more variants and more surges. We just don't know when. So back to the initial question. If people don't care about COVID, how do we message about it now? And I have to say, my answer is going to sound a little bit flippant here, but here it is. We do the same thing as we do for every other public health issue in the world. I'll explain what I mean here in a moment. And I'm going to talk about two very different approaches for two different audiences. But let's talk first about most people. Because you know, most people don't care about most public health issues. They really don't. So them not caring about COVID, mm, that's nothing new. 
This is a conversation that I have all the time that I've been having for years when I'm conducting training courses for public health professionals. And sometimes because they work in public health, they're very passionate about an issue, about engaging in a health behavior because they want to do the healthy thing, the right thing. And you know, I do a lot of interactive exercises when I'm doing trainings. And so people are typically creating campaigns or interventions during class. And sometimes they'll create these beautifully creative campaign ideas that are ultimately saying to people, do this because it's good for you. And you know what? That doesn't sell anybody on anything because a lot of people don't actually care. Being healthy is not a motivation for many people. Don't get me wrong when I say that because people want the benefits that come with good health, but they don't actually want to do it in order to be healthy. They want to do it in order to get those benefits, to be able to do things that they love or to spend time with their families or earn money or be able to travel and be active. Those are things people care about. Being healthy in the abstract is not. And a lot of people just don't connect the dots between their everyday behaviors and these longer term aspirations that they really do care about. And so they really don't care about engaging in the behavior that we want them to engage in. One unfortunate thing we've learned in the pandemic is that not only do people often not care about doing the healthy thing for themselves, but they may not really care about other people or doing what is right for their community any more than they do for themselves. But again, back to this idea that the problem of people not caring is actually our challenge for the bulk of the work that we do in public health. So we have to begin again to look at the transactional nature, not just of taking precautions for COVID, but for any behavior that people are going to engage in. In people's heads, they want to know what's in it for me. And healthiness is not enough. It's one reason why social marketing, which as you know, is one of the foundational frameworks here at HealthCom Central, it's one reason that social marketing is so successful in reaching people because social marketing doesn't focus on motivating people to be healthy. Social marketing borrows the same techniques that corporate marketers use to sell products, to sell us things that we don't actually need, we sometimes don't even want, and would certainly be better off in many cases without, but selling us on those things nonetheless because they are able to link them to benefits that we actually want. They sell us toothpaste because they link it to the benefit of attracting a romantic partner. They sell us cars because they link it to the benefit of being trendy. So we may not want the thing that we're buying, but if it's associated with something that we do like, companionship, trendiness, relaxation, feeling good about ourselves in some way, if a marketer can connect it to that, they can sell us on the product. And this is exactly the same thing that we're talking about when we're talking about selling people on behaviors. Social marketing looks for ways to make a health behavior easier, more fun, or more popular. Generally speaking, if you can sell a behavior on one of those criteria by making it easier, more fun, or more popular, you can be successful in getting people to change their behavior. So let's step back for a moment and think about how we did not do this during the earlier part of the pandemic, but maybe how we could start now. You know, it's really kind of amazing to me that we missed the opportunity a couple of years ago. 
I kept waiting during the early months of the pandemic for there to be a thing where there would be maybe collector's masks, for example, that would make you want to collect different kinds of cloth masks. Or maybe when we graduated and started wearing or requiring people to wear higher quality disposable masks, if only we could have made them more stylish or branded them with some kind of logo or gotten celebrities to come to the forefront and wear and promote certain kinds of masks. I mean, if Paris Hilton can be telling me every single time I log on to social media about some kind of nail dipping kit for my fingernails, I feel like there must have been some celebrity that could really have gotten out there on mask wearing and mask promotion. Probably many, many celebrities. That horse has left the barn now, and I'm not sure that we're going to fix that issue. A lot has happened that has politicized the behaviors that we want people to engage in. And people are definitely tired. But there are still ways that we can get out ahead now and think about things that might work in our current environment, things that might work for most people. Now, I would argue that we should not necessarily be trying to achieve the optimal situation. And this is something, a mistake that we sometimes make in public health, where sometimes we allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good. We're not going to get everybody to wear a mask at every crowded indoor event and everybody to get their vaccinations and boosters. That kind of optimization is probably not attainable right now. Maybe it was two years ago, but not right now. We also know that mandates are likely to be unpopular. And depending on who is mandating stuff, they're unlikely to be followed or enforced in some situations. Already been there, done that. But what we can do is to make taking precautions easier or more fun or more popular in other ways right now. So how do we make it more fun and more popular right now? And who can do that? Employers in particular who are already dealing with labor shortages and they have a lot to lose if workers are sick or disabled. They are in a great position right now to normalize a culture of at least moderate precautions, hand washing, distancing, staying home when you're sick. They can normalize these things and they can also make it easier. For example, making it easier to get vaccinated by hosting on-site clinics. Humor is another thing that we can use that really hasn't been used in the pandemic up until now. And I mean, there are reasons that you don't use humor in some cases when you're experiencing a public health emergency, but now might be the time to use it to get people to continue with, again, some of these moderate precautions by making it just a little more fun. Applying the idea from social marketing that people will be more likely to engage in a behavior if we make it easier, more fun, and more popular is what we should have been doing all along. It is what we should be doing for every issue. But there's still an opportunity here with COVID, even now, to do just that. Now, the audience I've been talking about until now is really kind of the the bulk of people who are out there. Probably you want to think of it as the bulk of people who are among the vaccinated. But there are a lot of other people out there. And there's one group in particular that I'm even more worried about. And those are the people who are not vaccinated. And so I mentioned at the beginning, so at the time of this recording, the U.S. is currently every day experiencing more than 400 deaths a day from COVID. So not over by a long shot. 
The main reason that we're not experiencing more deaths right now is not because transmission isn't happening, because it certainly is. I already talked about that. No, it's because vaccination has cut down on the number of people who are experiencing severe complications. But Americans are way under-vaccinated. 20% have gotten nothing. More than 30% have not completed the original series. And fewer than half have gotten even one booster. If we have a major surge this winter, those folks will be at real risk for severe illness and death. So how do we message to them? Well, I would say that we need to think in terms of some kind of vaccine amnesty. What do I mean by that? We need to make it possible for someone who has resisted vaccination all along to come into the tent, to become part of the vaccinated majority and not suffer any penalty because of it. And of course, when I'm talking about potential penalties, what I'm talking about are social or psychological penalties. We need unvaccinated people to get vaccinated and we need to make it easy for them to do it without any kind of, I told you so, no feeling bad, no feeling that they have to swallow their pride or eat crow if they decide suddenly they're going to move from unvaccinated to vaccinated. And I mean this, even if the person swore they'd never do it, even if they were trash-talking Anthony Fauci or minimizing the impact of the pandemic, even if they made so many excuses for why they didn't want it or couldn't get it, that we had given up hope. And one side note here is that some people were strongly anti-vaccination prior to COVID, and they are not the ones I'm talking about here. That's an extremely difficult group to communicate with. The group I am talking about here are the large number of people who, during the pandemic, for the first time ever in their lives, may have adopted an anti-vaccine stance, or the people who maybe haven't traditionally gotten optional vaccinations like flu or shingles, and so they didn't get the optional COVID vaccine, but never had a real belief system around it. They just haven't done it. And two years out, maybe that's feeling like it's part of their identity. But you know what? The problem here is people don't like to change their minds, especially if it has been something that was central to their identity for the last two years. Maybe they've been pretty public about expressing their thoughts. They may have been swept along into the no COVID vax for me bandwagon without thinking about it, or they may feel that they have, quote, done their research to adopt their current stance, however they got there, it doesn't matter. They are going to be reluctant to change because it's going to feel like admitting they were wrong. And it may feel like they're just tossing out everything that they've said or done or stood for over the past two years. So how do we get around that? Change is really hard. Fortunately, there has been a lot of research in this area. And I'm not talking about just during the last two years. I'm talking about a lot of research over decades about business negotiation, about hostage negotiation, about deprogramming, and of course, about dealing with hostile audiences. And if I had to summarize three key points in how we communicate to people who are really dug into their position, how do we get them to come over to the other side? These are the three points I would make. First of all, facts don't change minds. If we just keep showering them with data, it's not going to work. We have to tell stories. We have to tell them little by little. 
and very gradually drip, 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 sow the seeds of doubt by presenting small things that indirectly contradict their thinking. So that in the back of their mind, they're hearing some things about the value of getting vaccinated, about the mildness of side effects. And they're hearing about how people who've been vaccinated are not suffering from the same degree of illness. This is really different than arguing with people. This is just continuing to put small facts out there, to couch them in stories, to couch them in things that don't seem like arguments, but keep the information out there without directly confronting people and making them think that we're trying to get them to change their minds. Number two, we need to focus on the emotions behind their position. So we need to think about what are the reasons they're not getting vaccinated. Is it peer pressure? Is it worry about what is in the vaccine? Is it not wanting to be told what to do? You know, what are the reasons for their resistance? And if we can focus on some of those emotions behind the opinion, behind the behavior, we can begin to address those again, gradually by sowing doubt, by presenting another point of view, presenting it in story format, presenting it in ways that people can slowly digest it. So we've talked about the fact that facts don't change minds and that we need to focus on the emotions behind someone's opinion. My third point here is that we must recognize that change is gradual, even when it seems sudden. So we often see that people who change their minds go from being opposed to something to being very much in favor of something on the other side. Sometimes people will, will do what seems like an about face and it can seem as if it's happened overnight, but that's not really the case. Typically when people change their mind about something that is medium to high stakes for them, they are thinking about it for a while. So that change is happening very slowly inside their head or inside their heart. And then suddenly they are making an announcement or they are behaving in a way that's very different. And it seems like it happened quickly, but it actually happens over time. So the lesson here for us is that we have to be patient and give them that time. We have to open the door for them to come and join the ranks of the vaccinated. Some ways that we can do that, some ways that we can open that door and give people space to change, we can react to people changing their minds as not being a really big deal. Like, oh, that's great. Good to know. Awesome. Thumbs up. Not making it a big deal. Entertainment education may be one way to present this. We can think about working to portray people changing their minds and having it not be a really big deal. Or even maybe portraying somebody getting vaccinated and not telling anyone. I mean, that could even be outside of entertainment education, the theme of a humorous campaign. What happens in the pharmacy stays in the pharmacy based on the Vegas ads. So in short, the way to message about COVID now is not new. It just requires applying behavioral and social science that we already know works is not to message this like a lecture, not to try to persuade people to do something for their health or because it's good for them. For the groups that are merely fatigued, 
we need to use social marketing techniques to make the transactional nature of COVID precautions seem worth it. Not for health reasons, which people often don't care about, but by making whatever behavior we want them to do easier, more fun, and more popular. And for those who dug in their heels on the first round of vaccines and boosters, for those who are still unvaccinated or undervaccinated, we need to open the door by using negotiation techniques that allow them to change their position and still save face. We use stories, not data. We address underlying emotions. And we give them time to come around quietly and in their own way. Public health communicators still have plenty of powerful tools in our toolkit when it comes to COVID. Let's hope that maybe we can use them this time as we go forward in a way that didn't happen or couldn't happen in the last two years, and that that renewed effort at messaging can save lives, can reduce disability, and get us out of this pandemic much more quickly than we would be otherwise. If you are trying some of these techniques, whether related to COVID messaging or some other public health issue, I would love to hear about it. So please do reach out to me. You can reach out on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. And of course, we will be back next week with another episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And when you do it, please be sure to leave us a rating and review. That is it for HealthCom Central this week. Till next time, be well, stay safe, and stay science-based. See you soon. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.